Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4. I'd like you to look down at just verse number 1, 1 Corinthians 4, 1. The Bible says this, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And uh, since the beginning of this year, we have actually been in a series on the subject of the stewardship of life or stewarding life. And this is actually our last sermon in this series. Uh, next week is Easter, and then we're going to begin a brand new series uh, the week after Easter. Uh, but we've been talking about stewardship, and if you remember, this is, ele- this is the 11th week in this series, and I don't normally preach that long of a series, but I felt like for this subject it was needed. And if you remember, we started the very first week in this series with a biblical overview of stewardship. We just went through the Bible and kind of got a theology of stewardship and what the Bible teaches about stewardship. The second week, we talked about the parable of the unjust steward. Starting in week three, we got into some just real practical things because stewardship is management. And we, what we're learning is, and what I hope we've learned, is that we are not owners, we are stewards. The resources that we have do not belong to us, but they have been entrusted in us to, uh, to manage on the behalf of God, to invest for God. So we talked about in week three, the stewardship of time. Week four, the stewardship of health. Week five, the stewardship of relationships. Week six, the stewardship of finances. Week seven, the stewardship of our testimony. Uh, week eight, the stewardship of our thought life. And then the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some parables again about stewardship. Week 9, the parable of the rich fool, and week 10, the parable of the talents. We're going to end this morning with another kind of practical stewardship sermon, and what I'm speaking about this morning is the stewardship of the gospel, the stewardship of the gospel. I want you to notice and understand that we have been given the gospel to manage on behalf of of God. If you look down at verse 1 again of 1 Corinthians 4, it says this, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ, and notice what he says, stewards of the mysteries of God. The Bible, and, and the mysteries of God there is not just referring to the gospel, I believe is referring to many teachings um, in the Word of God, and I don't have time to develop this, but if you go back to the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians, he talks about how the, the teachings of the Word of God are a mystery to unbelievers. Unbelievers cannot understand doctrine. They cannot understand, you know, what the Bible teaches. And we as believers have been given the Word of God and the different doctrines in the Word of God. And specifically this morning, we're talking about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to steward. We are, uh, they've been given to us as stewards of the mystery of God and would to God, verse 2, that we would all be found faithful. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So I want to speak to you on the subject of the stewardship of the gospel. Now you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, go, keep your place there in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians a lot uh, this morning, but go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So just a few chapters over in the same book. Make sure you put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there in 1 Corinthians. We're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians 15, and I'd like you to write three statements down this morning, if you, if, you are able to, if you don't have a child sitting on your lap, on the back of your uh, course of the week, there is a place to write down some notes. I'd like you to write down this statement. Number one, we have the gospel. We have the gospel. And I, I know that's not a very eloquent point, so let me give you maybe a little more eloquent point. What, do we, what are we talking about when I say we have the gospel? Maybe you can write this in parentheses next to that statement, we have the gospel. Write this in parentheses, the message of redemption. Point number one is we have the gospel, the message of redemption. Now, what is the gospel? First Corinthians 15 
explains to us what the gospel is. Because here's what you need to understand. The word of God serves as its own dictionary. The word of God explains and defines for us what it means. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we are told what the gospel is. You know, today you have dispensationalists who want to tell us that there are three different gospels and in different ages the gospel meant different things. But here's the problem with that. The word of God doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible defines for us what the gospel is. Now, let me say this. The word gospel means good news, good tidings. But when we talk about the good news or the good tidings of the word of God, what is meant by that? 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 1. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. He says, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you. Now I want you to notice, in verse 1 he says, I declared unto you the gospel. In verse 3, he's going to begin to explain what exactly it is that he declared, what it is that he delivered. He said, for I delivered unto you First of all, that which also, uh, that which I also, I want you to notice this word, received. I want you to understand that when, we, when we're talking about the stewardship of the gospel, we begin with the idea that we have the gospel. We have received the gospel. We have the message of salvation. He says in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that, now notice, here's the gospel, all right? Point number one in regards to the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So he says, let me declare to you the gospel. Let me explain to you the gospel. Here's what the gospel is. The message of redemption is this. Number one, Christ died for our sins. Number two, look at verse four. And that, here's number two, he was buried. And that, here's number three, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So I want you to notice when the Apostle Paul says, let me declare to you the gospel, let me explain to you the gospel, the gospel that I received, the gospel that I preached, he says, here is the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. So don't allow some dispensationalists to tell you, well, there's a different gospel in this dispensation, and there'll be a different gospel during the tribulation. The biblical definition of what the gospel is, is this, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. So that is the gospel. Now, how did we get the gospel? Well, look at verse 1 again. Notice what he says. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, notice what she says, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received. He said, this gospel was preached unto you. And look, if you are sitting here this morning and you are saved, if you know that you're on your way to heaven, and it's not because of what religion you are or how good of a person you are, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've called upon Him in faith to save you, then the gospel was at some point preached unto you. The death, burial, resurrection of Christ was preached unto you. And someone explained to you that you are a sinner and you deserve to die and go to hell, but Jesus died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose from the grave as a payment for your sin. And if you're saved, you could say like the Apostle Paul, not only that the gospel which I preached unto you, he says, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. Look at verse 2. By which also ye are saved. What, how are they saved? By the gospel. By the message of redemption. Through the message of salvation. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 15. Go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 1. You're there in 1 Corinthians. You're going to go past 2 Corinthians, past Galatians, into the book of Ephesians. 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Now, 
do me a favor, when you get to Ephesians, keep a, a ribbon there or a bookmark or something. Put your bulletin there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. So you should have your place in 1 Corinthians and you should have your place in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Notice what the Bible says. Ephesians 1.13. The Bible says this, In whom ye also trusted. You see that word trusted there? When we talk about faith, that's what we're talking about. When we're talking about believe, that's what we're talking about. Believe is not simply, in regards to salvation, it's not simply, I believe that Christ existed. The Bible says that the devils believe in God and tremble. When we're talking about believe or faith for salvation, we're talking about putting your trust in Him. You are trusting in Him to save you. He says, in whom ye also trusted, notice, after that ye heard the word of truth. You always need a preacher. You always need someone to explain the gospel because the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Because the unsaved man cannot understand the gospel on their own. They need someone to bring them the message of redemption. He says, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth. What's the word of truth? Notice, the gospel of your salvation. Notice what it says. And whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. See, the Bible says that if you got saved, here's how you got saved. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. And then, because you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Keep your place there in Ephesians. You got your place in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. Go to 1 Thessalonians. You're going to go past Philippians, past Colossians, into 1 Thessalonians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1 Thessalonians. So you need to understand this. We received the gospel. When you got saved, you received the gospel. That's what you received. And by the way, you soul winners, make sure, make sure when you're out soul winning that you are emphasizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, all of it needs to be emphasized. We need to make sure we emphasize that, that, that we are sinners and that our sin has condemned us to hell and that salvation is a gift and we don't have to earn it and we don't have to work for it and that salvation cannot be lost. Make sure you are covering all of those things when you are explaining the gospel. But don't forget to emphasize the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we can just kind of uh, gloss over that and we, we ought not do that. And look, if you're saved, you heard the gospel, you received the gospel, we have the gospel, we have the message of redemption, but because you have the gospel, now you. Look, if you are saved this morning, if you are saved, not only do you have the gospel, but you are a steward of the gospel. Are you there in 1 Thessalonians 2? Look at verse 4. 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this, but as we were allowed of God, but as we were allowed of God, notice what it says, to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. See, the Bible says that we who received the gospel were allowed by God to be put in trust with the gospel. Now, what does that mean, to be put in trust? That's what we were talking about last week in the stewardship of the talents, right? The master gave his servants certain talents, and he made them stewards over those talents. What did he do? He put them in trust, or he entrusted them with those talents, and he is uh, counting on them and has confidence in them that they will manage those talents properly for the glory of God. Well, you know what? As a saved individual, because you might say, well, I, I've got one talent or two talents, or I'm not sure what my talents are, and we all have different talents, and and we all have different resources in different ways. But here's something I can tell you. Every single person in this room, if you're saved, one talent you've been interested with is the gospel. We have the gospel. We've been put in trust with the gospel. God 
has entrusted you and entrusted me with the gospel. So number one this morning, when we talk about the stewardship of the gospel, what does that mean? Well, number one, we have the gospel, the message of redemption. But secondly, I'd like you to notice and go back, go, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you kept your place in 1 Corinthians, just one book over to 2 Corinthians. Here's point number two, if you'd like to write this down. Not only, number one, we have the gospel, and maybe you can write this next to that point, the message of redemption. But number two, I want you to understand, we owe the gospel. We owe the gospel. And if you'd like to write this in parentheses next to that point, write these words, the ministry of reconciliation. We owe the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. See, when we receive the gospel, and I want you to understand this, when we received the gospel, when we got saved, when we received the message of redemption, when we got saved and we accepted Christ as our Savior, not only did we receive the gospel, but we also received the responsibility of the gospel. See, here's what you need to understand. When you got saved, you received the message of redemption. But when you received the message of redemption, you also received the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 18. Notice what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, And all things are of God. And all things are of God. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Who hath, notice, reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. What is the Bible saying here? Here's what it's saying. The Bible says that God was in Christ, because in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God was in Christ. God became flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. The Word was made flesh. He came to this earth. Why? To seek and to save that which was lost. He came to this earth to uh, have the ministry of reconciliation. The Bible says that God was in Christ, reconciling Himself by Jesus Christ, uh, and He was reconciling Himself to the world. Now, here's what you need to understand. When the Lord Jesus Christ left and ascended up to heaven, He then gave that ministry to us. And we have been given the ministry and the word of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you, notice, by us. What does it mean to be an ambassador? What's an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who represents an authority. You know, the United States of America has you know, a hundred and some odd ambassadors all over the world. And those ambassadors are not there to represent themselves. They are there to represent the United States of America and specifically the president of the United States of America. And those ambassadors go to different countries and, and, you know, live in embassies and all those things. And they negotiate deals and they talk about, you know, issues between the countries. And what do those ambassadors do? They are there as a representative of the President of the United States. They're not there to do what they want. They're not there to say what they want. They're not there to broker whatever deal they think is best. They are there to do the will of the President. And here's what you need to say. They are there on behalf of the President. And when the ambassador speaks or when the ambassador signs, it's as if the president himself is making that deal. Why? Because they are there to represent the president. And look, you and I, the Bible says you and I, when you got saved, we became ambassadors for not just the president, but the prince of peace, the king of kings, the God Almighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. We became ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you. Notice what he says. In Christ's stead. 
Now, what does that mean? And I want you to look. Sometimes I think we could read these verses and just kind of, uh, you know, not really understand the, the, the importance of these verses. In Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Look, when you go out soul winning, when you go out and knock on a door, when you ask somebody, you know, do you know if you died today, if you're on your way to heaven? Could I show you how you could know for sure you're on your way to heaven? You are doing that as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You are standing in the place of Christ. Christ said, I would do it myself, but I sent you as my ambassador in Christ's stead. We tell people, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. When we receive the gospel, we also receive the responsibility of the gospel. When we accepted the message of redemption, with that came the ministry of reconciliation. Go, go to Romans chapter number one. If you kept your place there, uh, you're in 2 Corinthians, just go back, you know, right before 1 Corinthians, you got Romans. So backwards, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Romans. Romans chapter one. See, we like the message of redemption part. We have the gospel, we receive the gospel, but listen to me, along with that, not only did you receive the gospel, but you owe the gospel. Not only did you get the message of redemption, but you also got the ministry of reconciliation. And here's what you need to understand, we owe it. We owe it. Romans 1, look at verse 14, notice what the Apostle Paul said, Romans 1, 14. Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, he says, I am debtor. Do you see that? He said, I'm in debt. He said, I owe. There's something I owe. I have to pay. I have to make it good. I have to make it right. He says, I am debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Look at verse 15. So, that word so is because. He's saying, because I'm a debtor, because I'm in debt, because I owe the gospel, he says, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want you to understand that we owe it to others to bring them the gospel. We owe it to others to bring them the gospel. Because when you got saved, you not only received the message of redemption, but you received the ministry of reconciliation, and you are now an ambassador, whether you knew it or not, to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and to take that message of redemption to others. And it's not, you know, if I want to, it's you're indebted to. You owe it to them. It is our job and our responsibility to make sure that other people hear the gospel. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I know we're going back and forth between Romans, 1 2 Corinthians. You should be able to find it quickly. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And here's what you need to understand. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But I am. it is my job to make sure that I teach you the whole counsel of God. And it is my job to make sure you understand exactly what, especially when we're talking about the stewardship of life, what you will be held accountable for when you are judged by the, by the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ for those of you that are saved. Here's what you need to understand. This thing of soul winning is you're not neutral. You can't say like, well, I'm saved, but I'm not giving the gospel to anybody. You know, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just not really doing anything, but I'm not hurting anybody. Please understand this. There is no neutrality with the stewardship of the gospel. You are either helping or you are hurting. Those are the only options. Those are the only choices. If we don't help them, then we hurt them. And you say, well, well, how can that be? And listen to me, if we talked about it in a physical sense, you would, you would understand it. 
If, if, if there was a physical disease that was spreading over the city, spreading over the country, and you had the anecdote, and you had the cure, and you had, you know, in your possession the ability to be able to help people to not die, and you, and, and you, you would, all of us would look at that individual, if they chose not to give people the cure, we would say, wow, you, you are wicked. You are evil. There's an epidemic. There's a disease going around the country. People are dying. You've got the cure. You could go give it to me. But, well, you know, I was a little tired. I had a long week. I'm kind of shy. I don't like to talk to people. I, I had to do gardening, or I had to go golfing, or I had to do... And look, in that, in that way, we would look at any excuse and every excuse and say, that's ridiculous! Right. You owe it! You owe it to people to get... But look, listen to me. Worse than any disease this world could ever come up with, worse than any disease that this earth has ever seen, is when people die and go to hell. When they spend eternity in hell. When they spend eternity in torment. And you've got the message. You've got the cure. You've got the gospel. And you say, oh, well, I have it. Well, now you have a ministry to reconcile others. To help others. And look, when you don't help, you hurt. When you don't help, you hurt. You say, no, I'm neutral, I'm neutral. No, you're not. You're either helping or you're hurting. Are you there in 2 Corinthians 4? Look at verse 3. It says this, but if our gospel be hid, if the message of redemption be hid, if the cure of salvation be hid, don't miss this. It is hid to them that are lost. See, here you say, what's the problem with not going soul winning, not preaching the gospel, not helping people understand something? Here's, here's the problem with that is that you are literally keeping it from the people who need it the most. Because look, I'm saved. Praise the Lord. I grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist home. When I was a, a very young child, you know, my dad took me aside and, and explained to me the gospel, and I called upon Jesus Christ with his help, and I asked him to save me. As a result of that, you know, my as far as I, I know, most of my family is saved. There's very few people in my family that, that are not saved, and especially in my immediate family. I don't, some of you have to deal with unsaved family members, and I'm not, I, I, my heart breaks for you, and I understand that's hard. I don't have to struggle with that. Everyone in my immediate family is saved. As a result, my wife got saved. As a result, all my children got saved. Listen to me. Everyone, everyone that I really care about, you know, deeply in this world is saved. I could, I could just say, well, everyone I care about is saved. Let everybody else die and go to hell. Who cares? I don't know that guy down that street. I don't know that person. When I go down to Del Paso Heights, when I go down to North Highlands, when I go down to South Sacramento, I don't know those people. Let them go to hell. I could say that. And look, everyone that I care about is going to heaven. But when I hide the gospel, you know who I hurt? Everyone who's not in my family. Everyone who didn't have the privilege to grow up in a home where they heard the gospel. Everyone who didn't have the opportunity to hear the gospel. Everyone that needs it the most are the ones we keep it. So there's no neutrality in this. Because, you know, people try to act all, you know, spiritual or justified. Well, I'm just shy and I'm afraid to talk to people. And, you know, you're outgoing. And no, 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 no. There's no neutrality in this thing. You're either helping or you're hurting. Because if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So when we talk about the stewardship of the gospel, 
We've been entrusted with the gospel. We've been given the gospel, and God says, I am trusting you to do something with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only do we have the gospel, we receive the gospel, we have the message of redemption, but when we receive the gospel, we received with the gospel the responsibility of the gospel, we receive the message of redemption and the ministry of reconciliation. There's a third point I'd like you to write down. Here's point number three. Go with me to the book of Romans. If you're there in 2 Corinthians, just go back. Past 1 Corinthians into Romans. Romans chapter 10. Here's point number three. I said number one, we have the gospel, the message of redemption. I said number two, we owe the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. Number three, we must give the gospel. We must give the gospel. The method of reaching the lost. We must give the gospel. The method of reaching the lost. Are you there in Romans chapter 10? In Romans chapter 10, we have the Apostle Paul giving us a pattern for salvation. A, a, a you know, how it is that people come to the place where they get saved. And he, and he starts, it's interesting how he writes it because he actually starts at the end. He starts at what we want, salvation. And he explains how we get there. Because look, here's what I know. And, even if, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad or hurt your feelings, but if the Holy Spirit is convicting you, praise the Lord. You know, but here's, here's what I know. Nobody in this room wants people to die and go to hell. Everyone in this room wants someone. If you're saved, you want people to get saved. And the Apostle Paul starts there in Romans 10. He tells us, here's, here's salvation. But then he explains to us how we get there. And he gives us the, 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 the steps to getting to the place where someone will get saved. Now, salvation is not steps. Salvation is not a process. But there is a process that leads people to the point where they can be saved. Are there in Romans 10? Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. You must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. But I want you say, well, how does somebody get there? How do we get to the place? How do we get to the place where we can help somebody, where we can lead somebody through the calling upon the name of the Lord? Well, verse 14. How then shall they call on him? So he asks a question. He says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then he says this. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So, you know, let me go ahead and just say this, because people say, oh, you guys believe will work salvation because you're saying people have to call upon the name of the Lord. No, here's what we're saying. If you believe, you'll call. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And he says, and you say, well, no, you're, you're adding work salvation. Well, then the apostle Paul was adding work salvation because he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But he also then said this, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So look, if you believe, you'll call. And don't, don't tell me, oh, I, I believe and I never called. No, you didn't. You're a liar. I don't believe you, and I'm not God, and I'm not going to judge you, but Paul doesn't believe you either. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how do we get them to do that? How do we get people to do that? How do we get people to call upon the name of the Lord? Well, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? He said, they've got to believe in order to get saved. They have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, okay, well, how do we do that? He says, they call upon the Lord for salvation. They call because they believe. How do we get them to believe? How do we get people to that place. Look at verse 14. And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? He says, look, they got a call to be saved. They will call if they believe, but how will they believe if they've not heard? How will they believe if they've not heard? And today you got Christians that are trying to just, you know, justify their laziness. And they'll say, oh, well, I think that, you know, God is, if people who haven't heard the gospel, he's going to just let them get in anyway. 
to heaven. Uh, look, if that's true, then let's just, let's just go home. Let's not talk about the gospel to anybody. Let's just become Calvinists and let it be. You know, look, if, if he's just going to let everybody in anyway, you know, well, if they've never heard, then don't tell them. Because as soon as we give them an option, now they might go to hell. Look, look, that's not, the, that's not how it works. Say, well, what, what happens to those people? What happens to those people that haven't heard the gospel? What about them? What happens to them? You know, it's funny because Jesus told everybody that wants to talk about, well, what about the people that don't hear the gospel? I, always want, I tell them the same thing. You go tell them. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. And you know that if every Christian, every person who's actually saved, made it their job to go out every week and present the gospel and preach the gospel or attempt to warn people with the gospel, that the whole world would hear the gospel? Let me explain to you something. The reason the world is dying and going to hell is because Christians aren't preaching the gospel. That's why. Look, if every Christian that is saved, every person that's saved in this world, made it their job to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole world would at least hear the gospel. And God, God is not going to take the blame because people didn't hear the gospel. He's going he's to say, well, I give you the ministry of reconciliation. Their blood is upon your hands. Their blood is on your head. You say, well, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? He says, look, they will call if they believe. They'll, they'll believe if they hear. They, be, they, they will hear if someone preaches the gospel to them. Look, look, notice what he says. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And, look at the last part of verse 14. How shall they hear without a preacher? That's where it starts. It starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us taking the message of redemption and the ministry of reconciliation. It starts with us going and the method of reaching the lost and going in the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in. It comes with us saying, I come as an ambassador of Christ in Christ's stead, pleading with you to be reconciled to God. How shall they hear? And look, I'm I'm not quoting the verse. I'm actually just asking you the question, how shall they hear? without a preacher. How are those people in South Sacramento going to hear the gospel? Is as, far, as far as I know, and I'm not trying to act like we're the only church, and look, we're not the only church. There's many churches all over this country that are right on the gospel and are preaching the gospel. Not all of them are in our movement either. But look, I'll be honest with you. As far as I know, there's not one church in South Sacramento that is preaching the gospel. I'm just telling you the truth. Maybe there is. If somebody wants to email me and and, and let me know about it, I'd be happy. I'm always rejoicing to hear that there's any lighthouse of the gospel. But as far as I know, there is not one church, one Baptist church in South Sacramento, 35 minutes from here, that is preaching the gospel. And if they are, I don't know of any church that is right on the gospel that is actively sending out missionaries into the highways and into the hedges and compelling them to be saved. I don't know of it. And here's all I'm trying to tell you. I'm just asking you the question. Those people in South Sacramento, how shall they hear without a preacher? 
Say, Pastor Jimenez, why are you guys putting, why is you and your group, you know, putting all this time and effort and, and, and energy and money into sending people to Idaho and sending people to Reno and sending people to Seattle and sending people to Eugene and sending people to Spokane and sending people to South Sacramento and sending people all over the country. Every state in this country will have a soul winning marathon on March 31st. All over the world, many countries in the Philippines and in Hong Kong and all over will have a soul winning marathon. You say, why? Why would you waste your time. Here's why. Because how shall they hear without a preacher? Because they need someone. They need someone to actually have a heart broken enough to say, you know what? I'm busy. Look, there's nobody in this room that's not busy. I'm tired. I'm tired right now. I, I, you know, I, I've got things, look, I got things I could do on a Saturday morning. I got better things I could do. Look, I had better things to do Saturday morning than spend my morning talking to Brother Nate, preaching the gospel to people. No offense, Brother Nate. I got, people act like, oh, you guys do it because you're just a bunch of losers. You got nothing going on. Everyone in this room has something going on. But some of us realize that if we don't go, if we don't go, no one will. If we don't go, and here's, here, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to make you feel better. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm just asking you. I'm asking you the question. Maybe you've got the answer for me. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Do you keep your place here in Ephesians? Keep your place in Romans. Ephesians chapter 6. Not only have we received the message of redemption... Not only have we received the ministry of reconciliation, but there is a method of reaching the laws. What's the method? You can say it in one word. Go. Give. We must give the gospel. We have received the gospel, the message of redemption. We owe the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. We must give the gospel, the method of reaching the laws. Are you there in Ephesians 6? Look at verse 15. Notice the emphasis put that's put on the preachers. Ephesians 6.15, and your feet, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In this, in this passage, he goes all over, you know, the, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the, the, the shield of faith. But when he gets to the part of the gospel, he connects it to our feet. Why? Because we actually have to go. Because we have to, actually have to use these things and go somewhere and preach the gospel. And go somewhere and tell people the gospel. We have to actually go. He says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Keep replacing Ephesians. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Romans 10. Keep replacing Ephesians. We're going to come right back to it. Go back to Romans 10. Notice the emphasis. Notice the emphasis put on the feet of those who preach the gospel. Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? That's why we do it. That's why we're motivating and mobilizing soul winners all over this country, all over this world. Why? Because how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Notice the emphasis is put on the feet. Why? Because we have to go. Because we have to go and bring glad tidings of good things. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Look at verse 16. 2 Corinthians 10, 16. Say, Pastor Jimenez, you, you, we started a church in Vancouver. We, we're, we're planning on a big Philippines mission trip. Want to start a church in the Philippines. Then, then you're going to want to start a church somewhere else and this and that. Why, why do those things? Why do those things? Because, look, we have been entrusted with the gospel. 
We are stewards of the gospel of Christ. And God expects us to do something with it. We received it, but we owe it. And we have to pay our debt. We have to give the gospel. 2 Corinthians 10, 16, notice what he says. To preach the gospel, to preach the gospel, notice, in the regions beyond, in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hands. Obviously, our, 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 our goal, our plan, our goal is to preach the gospel in the regions beyond, in the regions beyond you. Go back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number 6. At Verity Baptist Church, we have, a, we have a mission statement with seven different statements. One of these days, I'll, I'll share it with you, or maybe I'll, I'll preach through it. I'll preach through our mission statement one day. If you ever go in my office, you'll see uh, a big plaque, and it has our vision statement and our mission statement. And one of the seven statements on our vision statement is this, that our goal is to motivate and mobilize soul winners. Motivate and mobilize soul winners. That's why we exist. We exist. This is not the only reason we exist. This is one of the seven statements that, that we've chosen as our mission for this church. But one of our missions is to motivate and mobilize soul winners. That's why we're doing the marathon. That's why we had a marathon in Yuba City. That's why we had a marathon in San Jose. That's why we started a church in, in Vancouver, Washington. That's why we're having a missions trip in the Philippines. That's why we're starting a church in the Philippines. That's why, that's why we do all of it. Why? Because, look, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now, let me talk to some of you. Because some of you are not listening to my sermon right now because you have an excuse in your head, and it's a good excuse, and I'm not against it. I'm not against you. I want to help you out, but I'm not against you. You say, well, I physically can't go. I physically can't go. I, I'm, maybe I'm older or I'm, I have an injury or I have something like that. I physically cannot go soul winning. You know, that doesn't mean that you get to opt out of the ministry of reconciliation. You say, well, what could I do? What could I do? Well, I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6. That's what he says, verse 18. Praying always. Praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He, he's, telling them, he's, saying, he's telling them, let's be praying always. Let's be praying. My, my heart was blessed on, on Friday night when, we, we, when the men here, and I know the ladies had a similar experience on Tuesday, but on Friday night when, when I was here with the, with the men of the church and we had a big row of chairs here and we had close to 40 men spend, time, spend about an hour it was sweet to my heart to hear the men of our church spend time in prayer for the, marath- for the soul winning marathon and for the Easter service. And we prayed through the church's prayer list and we took some special requests. And, and it was sweet to my heart. You say, why, why is that important? Why, why do you do stuff like that? Because the Bible says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice what he said. He said, he said he's telling the church that Ephesus, you are praying always. You are in the ministry of prayer. And he's glad. And he says, can I put in my prayer request? The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.19 is about to write down his prayer request on his communication card. And here's what he says. He says, and for me. He says, pray for me. He says, if you're going to pray, I want you to pray for me specifically. What, Paul? What can we pray? That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen at the soul winning ministry of Verity Baptist Church. And listen to me. If you just don't want to go sowing because you're lazy, you need to get right with God. 
And you say, I don't have time. You, know, you can make time. And you, I'm not saying you have to go on Saturday. I'm not saying you have to go on Sunday. But you, look, if you, if you can't give someone the gospel, then you're just too busy. Because God does not give us conflicting responsibilities. When God gives you a responsibility, he gives you the tools to be able to do it and accomplish it. But those of you who actually physically can't, because of your age or an injury, I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen with the soul-winning ministry of Verity Baptist Church. Every week we have somewhere between 70 and 75, sometimes 67, sometimes up to 80 soul winners out. And usually they go out on, most of them are on Saturday morning from 10 a.m. to about 12.30 p.m. A lot of them are out on Sunday between 2 p.m. and about 3.30 p.m. A lot of them are out on Thursdays from 2 p.m. to about 3.30, 4 p.m., something like that. I wonder what would happen if those of you who physically can't go soul winning, if you would say, I want to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, and you know what, I can't be out there physically, but from 10 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on March 31st, I will be on my knees praying for the soul. I wonder what would happen. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Watching thereunto with all perseverance of the saints. And as for me, that utterance, would you pray for me on March 31st? As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Would you help me with that? I can't go soul winning, Pastor. I got an excuse. This is a guilt-free sermon. No, well, can, you, can you help us with prayer? I believe in prayer. I believe there's power in prayer. Now, if you can go, go. But if you can't go, would you pray? Would you pray? Would you? I'm going to say, oh, yeah, I'll pray for five minutes. No, would you? The amount of time that the soul winners are spending out knocking doors, reaching people the gospel, would you say, I'll take that time, that two hours, that two and a half hours, and pray that they would have boldness, that the Holy Spirit would work in them, and that many people would be saved. Could you do that? Because here's, here's what I'm guessing. If you're not willing to do that, then it's not that you can't go soul winning. It's just you just don't want to. Let's, why don't we, look, why don't we just be honest with you? Why don't we just be honest? It, it'd be good for us to just be honest and say, you know what, the reason I don't go soul winning, the reason I don't tithe, the reason I barely show up to church, the reason I don't read the Bible, it's not that I can't, it's just that I won't. It's just that I don't want to. See, we could all be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. Say, Pastor Menes, what are you going to do? What are you going to do one day when you can no longer stand up and preach the Word of God? I'm not talking about just soul winning, just even here as a, as a pastor. You know what I'll do? The next guy who takes over for me, they will have a prayer warrior praying for them. That's what I would like to do. When I can no longer preach, I want to help the next man of God by just praying for him. And when I'm so old, I can't go soul winning, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to just, you know, have someone roll that wheelchair up to that fireplace and just spend, spend a couple of hours praying for the soul winners of Verity Baptist Church. That's what I'd like to do when I can no longer go. And that's what I'm asking some of you to do. Because I, I wonder if we had, I wonder if we just bathed the ministry of reconciliation in prayer. I wonder if we would just unlock the power of God upon our lives. Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're, we're, we're done. I'm going to give you a couple of passages. 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to go to 1 Peter 4. If you can find those two, we'll finish up. 1 Corinthians 9. If you kept your place in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9. And if you want to go ahead and find 1 Peter chapter 4, if you start at the end of the Bible and head backwards, you're going to go past Revelation, past Jude, past 3rd, 2nd, and 1 John, past 
Second Peter uh, into First Peter, all right? Uh, first Peter chapter four, First Corinthians chapter nine. Here are the three. You, when it comes to the stewardship of the gospel, the stewardship of the gospel. What what is the stewardship of the gospel? Here's the stewardship of the gospel. Number one, we have the gospel, the me, the message of redemption. Number two, we owe the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. Number three, we must give the gospel, the method of reaching the lost. We have the gospel. We owe the gospel. We must give the gospel, the message of redemption, the ministry of reconciliation, the method of reaching the lost. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says this, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Listen to me. You soul winners, you say, I don't soul winning. Don't, you have nothing to glory of. We, we are just doing our duty. We are just doing what we're supposed to do. I have nothing to glory of. Why? Why, Paul? Why do you have nothing to glory of? For necessity laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. See, we preach the gospel because we need to preach the gospel. Why do we need to preach the gospel? Because people will die and go to hell. People will die and go to hell. Who would have got saved if somebody would have brought them the gospel? See, the stewardship of gospel, of the gospel, is committed unto us. 1 Corinthians 9, 17. Notice what it says. For if I do this thing willingly... I have a reward. But if against my will, notice this, notice this, a dispensation. Pastor Menace, I thought we weren't dispensationalists. We're not. But I do believe in this dispensation right here. What dispensation? A dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. The word dispensation means to dispense, to give out. I don't, I don't believe in the dispensation of the church age and the dispensation of grace versus the dispensation of the law. All that stuff is made up. It's really interesting to me that the dispensationalists have their seven dispensations and not one of them is what the Bible actually tells us is a dispensation, which is the dispensation of the gospel. And by the way, that covers all of them. Even in the book of Genesis, began men to call upon the name of the Lord. How did they get there? Well... They called because they believed. Why did they believe? Well, they believed because they heard. How did they hear? Well, they heard because of a preacher. It's the same method. Old Testament, New Testament, before the law, after the law, it's all the same thing. It's all Jesus Christ. And the dispensation here, you say, what dispensation do you believe in? Here's the dispensation I believe in. I believe in the dispensation of the gospel. And notice what he said. It's committed unto me. I'm responsible for it. It is my job to give it. Away. First Peter chapter 4. We'll be done. First Peter chapter 4. Say, Pastor Menace, what do you want us to do? Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Let me just give you, give you some, some application. All right, here's what I want you to do. If you're not a soul winner, I want you to become a soul winner. I, I'm not trying to hide anything from you. I've got an agenda. You say, why do you preach a sermon? Why did you wait to preach on the stewardship of the gospel to write the week right before March 31st? Here's why. Because I'm smarter than I look. And I want to give you an opportunity... I want to give you an opportunity to get involved in the ministry of the reconciliation, of reconciliation. And there's no better opportunity than this Saturday, March 31st, in South Sacramento, when we go out and we reach people that otherwise would not hear the gospel. And if you're not involved, I want you to get involved. I want you to just commit right now and say, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. You say, well, I don't know what to say. That's fine. We will partner you with someone who does know what to say. We're not going to throw you to the wolves, all right? You say, I don't know what to say. We will, we will partner you. We will strategically partner you with someone who does know what to say. And you can just follow along. And you can just, look, you, what are the benefits of uh, being a silent partner? Here are the benefits of being a silent partner. You get to know people in church. 
I don't know anybody in church. But, you know, the people that have close relationships with church, you know what they, the, the under, you know, the common denominator for all of them is, for a lot of them is, here's the common denominator, they're all soul winners. You will get to know people, you will get to fellowship, you will get to learn, but here's the best part, here's the best part, you will free up our talkers. Because sometimes, you know, it's kind of a waste, because we never send, we always send people at least by two and two. And sometimes it's a waste, sometimes it's a waste when we send two talkers together. But if you showed up, we could split those two into two groups of two. And there's a bet. You say, well, what, what, what can I do? You can double our efforts. That's what you could do. Fellowship, learn, and help us accomplish more. So here, here's, here's what I want you to do. If you're not involved, I want you to get involved. If you're no longer involved, if you used to be involved, if you're backslidden now, you used to be a soul, I want you to get back in it. If, you, if you, you say, I've been going and I, I'm, I haven't talked. Now, I'm not talking, look, if you've been going for like three or four weeks and you haven't talked, you're good. You're, I'm, you're, you're right where you need to be. But if you've been going and it's been like six months or eight months and you haven't talked, I'm not mad at you. I want you to do it when you feel comfortable. Don't let anybody pressure you to do it before you feel comfortable. But I want you to start working towards that. Maybe you can say, well, maybe I can just give the introduction. Maybe I can just say, hi, we're inviting you to Verity Baptist Church. Then get out of the way and let the soul winner, you know, come in, whatever. But start working towards becoming a talker. Maybe you're a talker, but you need to start working at becoming a better soul winner. You, you can give the gospel, but it's been a while since you've watched the soul winning marathon, uh, soul winning seminar. It's been a while, you know, uh, you need to kind of freshen up on the verses. You need to maybe work on your delivery. I want you to work on that. Maybe you are a proficient soul winner. You get people say, you know, all the time on a regular basis, hey, praise the Lord for it. Here's what I want you to start working on. Follow up. Actually start following up on your converts. Actually call them and invite them to Easter and write them a note. And How about this? Just pray for them. Most soul winners, they get somebody saved. You ask them five minutes later, what's their name? I don't know. Well, how are you praying for them? That's what I want to ask. I'm just saying this. Maybe we can all step it up a little bit in our ministry of reconciliation. Maybe we can all do a little more. So we've been given a stewardship. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're done right here. 1 Peter chapter 4, look verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift. When you got saved, did you receive a gift? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice what he says. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know that we, are, we, we have the stewardship of the grace of God? How do people get saved? By grace. You received it. You owe it. Now you must give it. You received it. You owe it. Now you must give it. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that always keeps the main thing the main thing. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray you'd help in all of us to always have a strong burden to see people saved.